I'm excited to have the opportunity uh, to be with you this morning, to open up God's word with you this morning. We are going to continue to do our study in 1 Peter. Um, so if you go ahead and open your Bibles up to 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, we'll be in verses 18 through 25 together this morning. So, so far in 1 Peter, we have been challenged in so many radical ways. Now remember, Peter is writing uh, a, a letter of encouragement to these exiles, these people who have been scattered to all these different locations uh, because of persecution. And in chapter one, Peter is telling the exiles not so much what to do, but what to remember. So he says, remember that you are people with purpose. Remember that God loves you and your destination is glory. Remember that you are in the wilderness right now, but to trust in God's promises, reminding them of God's great love, the cost that, that God paid for their sins. He showed them the, the amount that that cost. And remember, he's even sharing with them about how the angels look down on them with awe because of how God loves his creation. And so now we step into Peter chapter two, and Peter moves into more instruction on how to live as exiles. Um, starting with you know, having an appetite like a little baby, hungering and thirsting for God, staying close to him, staying close to one another in the church. And then he turns to them and he says, okay, now be a witness to those outside of the church, those being in, living in great darkness. Be a light to those. And then he instructs the exiles how to live radically, to live radically in this world. And I would say this is even a radical challenge for us today to live different than the rest of the world. So let's continue as we dive into God's word together, continue to be challenged to live radically for the glory of the Lord. So let me ask you a question before we dive in. Has anybody ever said to you, hey, you remind me of someone, right? Has anybody ever gotten that? You remind me of somebody. So I read a story a couple weeks back, um, and it was about uh, people that would go into uh, the destruction after 9-11, and they were there to, to, to help clean up. And there was a volunteer group that would take these workers once they would leave the destruction, and they would take them to water basins and then begin to wash their boots. And so one of these workers was, was coming out of the, the site after his time of, of, of working in there, and the volunteer led them to this water basin, and he, be, he knelt down, and he began to scrub the, work, the boots of this worker and removing all the debris. And this worker points down to him and says, hey, you know what? You remind me of Jesus. And the worker looks, volunteer looks up and goes, What? He goes, yeah, you remind me of Jesus. And he began to explain uh, John 13 to him where Jesus was washing the disciples' feet. Now, this would be one of the greatest compliments to receive. Hey, you remind me of Jesus. You remind me of Jesus. Wouldn't we all love to hear that said of us? You remind me of Jesus because of 
your actions. Because the way you control yourself, the way you live your life, the way you handled that situation, the way you responded to that person, the way you love your spouse, the way you treat your children, the way you respond to those who have authority over you. You remind me of Jesus. And this morning, we're going to look at how Peter continues to help these exiles and us to know, hey, this is what it looks like to look like Jesus. So last week, we, we kind of dove in, and Pastor Derek took us through how do we respond like Jesus when it comes, towards, it comes to our, our responses towards the government. This week, we're going to look at how, how should we look like Jesus when it comes to our jobs, to our bosses, to those who have authority over us. And really, it's almost every situation if you call yourself a Christ follower. So let's dive in and let's read and see what Peter has for us. If you would, let's stand to honor the reading of God's word. We'll be in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. And he says this, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure it? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sin in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You all may be seated. So let's, let's just jump in. Here we go. First, let's talk about this word servant. Some of your translations might have the word slave. Um, it's, it's important to know that slavery in the first century was not based on race or color like American slavery was, but it was still inhumane. These people were still considered possessions, property, or tool, treated unjustly and unfairly. But there's two words in the Greek for, for the word servant or slave. The first one is doulos, and we see that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16, where it says servants of God. And this means slave or servant, like, like we would understand. But the second is the word that we see here which is oikotai. Um, oikos, the root word, means family. So oikotos means a household servant. So that's who Peter is speaking to here. This type of servant or slave had a specific job, a specific, specific directive. Um, they were still owned. They were still treated as possessions, as we see in these verses. But they had jobs uh, which could have been household doctors, which could have been teachers, cooks, 
farmers, you name it, they, they had a role within the family. And it's been said that much of the early church was made up of these, these oikotas, these servants, these slaves. So Peter's talking directly to them. And, and the first word that comes out of his mouth when he says, hey, servants, is what? Probably a word that they didn't want to hear. Submit. Servants, submit. Now, notice, Peter's direction to them was not servants, rebel. Servants, start a strike. Servants, go get what's yours. Servants, run away. That is not Peter's message. Peter's message is submit. So let's look at this word a little bit closer. This word in the Greek is in the middle voice, all right? So it's not passive and it's not active, but it's in the middle voice. And so what that means is that means that we are literally to place ourselves or place yourself in submission. So Peter's saying, yes, slaves, you are a slave. Yes, you are owned, but you make the choice to submit, Biblical submission is placing yourself under someone by choice with a happy heart. Peter wants submission to come from the heart of these people. So Peter wants these servants then to recognize their position, a position that was really looked down upon by society. But he wants them to place themselves in a position to make an impact you see that? As a slave, place yourself in a position to make an impact. But not just for yourself, not just so that you can make your life better for you, but you place yourself in this position for the glory of the gospel, for the gospel message. I love how Richard Foster comments on this text. He says this, he states that Peter made decision makers out of those who were forbidden to make decisions. Peter is saying that you make a decision to submit. You choose to do it, not because you're forced to, but because you're being obedient to God. So here's a hard, radical statement for us today. One of the best ways to resemble Jesus is in submission. One of the best ways to look like Jesus is in submission. So the first point for today's message is this, an exile's calling is in following Christ's example in submission. Submission is a word that naturally grates against our idea of freedom, right? If, if you're free, you don't submit to anybody. And freedom, as Americans, we love that word. We have holidays like Memorial Day to remember those who paid the ultimate sacrifice, those who gave their life so that we might have freedom. But the real question is, what do we do with our freedom? Or why do we want freedom? What do we want freedom from or what do we want freedom for? Do we want freedom to cover up evil? I think Derek talked a lot about this last week, right? Or do we want freedom to live according to God's will 
and to live according to God's ways. Christ's example of submission is found in his complete submission to God the Father. And we see that here in verse 22 and in 23, where he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth as he was obedient to God the Father. And then verse 23, and then he continued entrusting himself to him who is God, who judges justly, who has the final say. So, when Christ could have responded, let's think about it this way. When Christ could have responded, what did he do? He handed it over to God. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter tried to respond. When Christ responded, he said, look, I can call down legions upon legions of angels and destroy everything. But instead, he entrusted his situation to God. So let me ask this question. Does this sound anything like what happens today? And I'd say no. No, because we're a society conditioned to rebellion. We're a society conditioned to selfishness. Our fallenness wants us to fight back for our rights. And Peter is saying there's no place for asserting our rights. It's not our concern to have rights in this world. It's our concern to be obedient and to be submissive to God. And that's not easy. But check this out. We will inherit all of our privileges in the world to come where we store up our treasures we don't base our life on our situations here. We base our life in eternity. We have an eternal perspective. And so why do we do this? Why do we do this? So that others can see Christ in us. So that others can see our good deeds and glorify who? Our Father in heaven. That's the goal. That's the goal. Our focus is, has to be eternal. And this church is a radical way to live. Living in submission is not easy. But Peter doesn't make it any easier because he moves on to our second point. Secondly, we are called in following Jesus' example in what? In suffering. Look at verses 18 to 19. We're, we're told to, they, the exiles were told to respect their masters who were unjust Endure sorrows while suffering unjustly. This is radical. Peter is, Peter is calling these men and women to respond with respect towards their masters who treat them terribly, who treat them unfairly. Peter, where's the encouragement in this? Submit to my master and now endure the, endure the sorrow and unjust suffering? Well, the encouragement is found in this, in verse 19. This is a gracious thing when mindful of God. You experience God's grace when you do these things. When you respond with respect. When you respond with good instead of evil. 
And Jesus reminds us in in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Blessed? I'm considered blessed when people insult me because of my relationship with Christ? I'm considered blessed. But he continues, he he says, rejoice. Not only are you blessed, but rejoice, be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. It's a continued mind kept on eternity is how we can handle this. We submit even in our suffering. Verse 21, why are we called to live like this? What's the motivation? Because Christ suffered for you. We're to look like Christ. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, hey, I suffered for you. Do it yourself. No, it says what? He says, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Be like Christ. Now, this word in the Greek example is hupogramos, which really means writing under. All right? So it gives us a picture of children learning how to write their alphabet where the teacher would write out the letter and then a child would place its paper over the letter and then the child begins to trace it. Jesus leaves us an example, a radical example to trace. We are called to follow in his footsteps. Follow in the footsteps of Christ, the radical, world-changing footsteps. So what's an example of that? Verse 23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. NIV reads it this way, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he did not threaten. We are to follow Jesus' footsteps in these examples of suffering, and that's not easy. It's not easy, but we're called to it. We're called to it. So that hopefully one day somebody will say, hey, you know what? You remind me of Jesus. You remind me of Jesus and how you're handling all of this. And then finally, exiles are called and following Christ's example in righteousness. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. The ultimate image of unjust suffering and pain is seen in the crucifixion of Christ. But Christ's death and resurrection was more than just an example of responding rightly to unjust suffering. No, Christ took the consequences of our sin, took all of those things that we do against God. He took them upon himself And he became the the sacrificial lamb to death and paid that price for our sins. And then Peter reminds us, and he says, guys, by his wounds, by what Christ did for you, you have been healed. So as we identify with Christ in salvation, our goal is then to live for righteousness, as Christ lived for righteousness before God the Father. 
So what gives us the power to do this? Well, as a follower, as a believer of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life, giving you the power, giving you the strength, giving you everything that you need to be obedient to the calling of God on your life. Don't forget that. The Holy Spirit is directing us at all times if we're willing to hear his voice and be obedient to it. The life, rest, rest, sorry, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ enables us to have the power in the midst of suffering to live righteously for him and to model all of these characteristics of Christ that Christ gives us to follow. So as we do this, what happens then? As we live righteously before others, they begin to see what's going on. They begin to say, hey, what is it about you? Our testimony, not only verbally, but our lifestyle begins to sing the praises of God and allows others to see Jesus in us. So let's wrap this up. Let's, let's walk through some examples of how we should apply this to our, to our jobs or for kids and students, uh, how we are to respond to authority, how we are to respond to those who are teachers or coaches, how we are to respond even to our HOA. We'll talk about that one more maybe. <laughs> the first thing is we must recognize that these places where we work, where we go to school, where our home sits is a place for us to have a stage. A place for us to have everybody's eyes looking and watching. A place for us to let our light shine. And we want it to shine, church. We want it to shine. Because Matthew 5, 16 says, when we shine, it allows others to see our good deeds and praise who? Our Father in heaven. Not us. The praise isn't for us. The praise is for God. So how can we do this? How can we live and follow Christ's example of submission, suffering, and righteous living? Let's look first at submission. We're called to it, so let's just own that, right? We are placing ourselves in, in submission so that we might win some. And verse 18 shows us how. How do we do it? We submit to our masters respectfully. With respect, we submit. So be respectful. Be respectful to your boss. Be respectful to anybody who is around you. Don't be bitter. Don't be that person that's always negative. Treat even your master the way you would want to be treated. Treat your boss with respect. If they ask you to do something, even if you think it is ridiculous, as long as it's not causing you to sin, maybe it is causing you to sin because you're grumbling, right? <laughs> but no, if they're not asking you to sin, 
You do it. Jonathan, move this pile of dirt from there to there. Okay, done. Now, move that pile of dirt from there back to there. Okay. If any of you have all seen The Princess Bride, as you wish. Right? As you wish. Students, very similar. Respect your teachers. Respect your coaches. Whether you get playing time or not. Do your homework well. Don't grumble about busy work. Just do it. No matter the project that they're asking you to do, communicate calmly and show your teachers, your coaches, your parents respect for their position. Y'all, we are to pile on kindness over those who have authority over us. So that the only way that they can respond is why are you the way that you are? I treat you so terribly. Why are you the way that you are? It opens up the door for a conversation. So let's talk about the HOA, Homeowners Association. Uh, Sir, we need you to cut that branch that's hanging over the tree. You have way too many dandelions in your yard. Just say, okay. Be a good neighbor. You're a follower of Jesus. We're talking about things eternal, not things here on earth. That you get to show people that there's something so much greater. But check it out. When we are nasty, when we are vile, when we are mean and ugly and bitter, you know what that tells me? I don't want anything to do with your Jesus. Because Jesus definitely doesn't have a hold of your heart. You don't live any differently. We don't live any differently than what we're called to do. So don't fight it. It's not worth it. It gives people a bad taste in their mouth. We want to look like Jesus. You remind me of somebody. Yeah, I hope it's Jesus. I hope it's Jesus. In suffering, as was stated in these verses, some of us will have masters and bosses that are unjust, harsh, cruel. You'll have coaches who, who, are, who are mean and all of those types of things. You'll have people in your life who are just awful to be around and work with. Some of you are treated harshly because of your relationship with Christ. It's okay. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. But we've said this a thousand times here at Blue Valley. You are where you're at because of God's sovereign will. It's not by accident. God has placed you where you are at for a purpose. No matter if it's good or bad, you are there for a reason. And check this out, church. When we recognize that God has placed us in the position that we're in for a purpose and a reason, we have elevated ourselves to a place of authority. We have elevated ourselves to a place of purpose, to decision makers. Because we've got much bigger purpose than what our boss or any other authority has over us. That purpose is eternal. And when we recognize that, whether good, good conditions or bad conditions, 
you can lean on Jesus. You can lean on your relationship with Christ, and then you recognize his grace through it all. And then it changes the world. It changes the world. Not only the physical world around you, but the world through your eyes. Because you start seeing things as Christ sees it. All throughout God's word, we see that suffering produces perseverance in our faith. And so leaning on God more and more and more as we suffer. Handing our sufferings up to him. Allowing him to carry our burdens. Giving him, allowing him to give us strength to carry on. All of this makes his name great in your life makes him an all-powerful, mighty God that he is to the world around you. Let me say really quick, some of us face suffering because we deserve it. And this is what Peter points out here. Because we deserve it, because we don't finish our tasks, we cut corners, uh, we show up late and we leave early, we turn in assignments late, you argue, you whine, all of these issues. Don't be that person. Just don't be that person. You've earned it. Take your suffering and move on. Be the person that lives above that. If you need additional helps and examples on how to respond during suffering, read the book of Daniel. Daniel's in the Old Testament. Flip back there. You'll see Daniel. Read about him. And he will give you some crazy examples on how to live radical for God. And then how people's response of, wow, that's your God? Okay, we want to follow him. It's pretty amazing. And then finally, righteousness. Why do you work? Why do you go to school? Why do you do what you do when you wake up each and every morning? Is, is it just to get paid? Is it just to get a task done? Is it just to get the grade? Is it just to finish? So the question is, then how do we live or do our jobs righteously. Will you take the Lord with you? You take the Lord with you to work. You take the Lord with you to the grocery store. You take the Lord with you wherever you go and whatever you do. Ephesians, five, or Ephesians 6, 5 through 8, Paul writes, bond servants, all right? Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Man, these are difficult words. Not by the way of eye service or, or as a people pleaser, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from where? From the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not men, whether he is a bond servant or free, no matter what your position is, this is our response, to work for the Lord. To work for the Lord. So righteousness is not, hey, guys, look busy. The boss is coming. It happens a lot over in the annex. No, it doesn't, right? <laughs> you know, when the, when the cat's away, the mice play. Um, no, it's not really that. No, it's you work for the Lord in his glory. The Lord who sees everything. So when the door's closed and you're there by yourself, the Lord sees he not only sees the actions, but he knows the motive. He knows what's going on. 
So work for the Lord. Do your homework for the Lord. Don't skip corners. Don't do so-so work. Work as if you're submitting your final project to the Lord. Following Christ's example in righteousness should change the way that you wake up each and every morning. It should change the way that you go to work. It should change the way that you go to school. It should change the way that you treat others. You're not just a teacher. You're not just a worker. You're not just a doctor. You're not just an engineer. You're not just a name it. You're working for the Lord. You're an ambassador of God, taking the light of the gospel to darkness. So how do I know this is our calling? Well, verse 21, to this you were called. You were called to submission. You were called to suffering. You were called to righteous living. So let us follow in Christ's steps. So then the question we ask ourselves is, who do I follow? Who do I follow? If I call myself a Jesus follower, who am I following? Well, remember, you're following the suffering servant, Jesus. You're following the suffering servant, Jesus. We are called to this because he is shaping us to look more and more like him. And this is hard, and Peter recognizes this in verse 25. He says, for you are like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Life can be hard, and maybe suffering has caused you to go astray as some of the exiles had done. Maybe you've just simply walked away from the Lord because you can't trust him in a certain area of your life. Or it's hard to see God's care and pain and suffering as these exiles had done. But Peter reminds us that Jesus cares deeply for his people. He is your shepherd guarding you, protecting you, carrying you. He is your overseer of your soul that's eternal. Even in our wondering, Jesus is still there for us. So trust him in it, in all the things he's calling us to do. Let us pray.